you haven't caught on yet, today we start a brand new series called Beginnings. <clears throat> Everything about us has a starting point, a beginning, right? We have the beginning of a new day, the start of the day, right? The, the beginning of a new week, the beginning, again, as we're still kind of in that, uh, that stage of beginning a new year, beginning a new relationship, Right? You turn on the TV, the beginning of a TV show, or, or turn on a ball game, you know, there's a kickoff, there's a beginning. You sit down for a meal, there's, there's that beginning moment, that first bite, right? Uh, a, a new relationship, the beginning of a relationship. We, we, we understand that life is filled with beginnings. We get that. The same can be said about countries and nations, Kingdoms, right? Any history buffs in the room, right? When you think of, of history, a simple study uh, of history, you can see the rise and fall of nations and empires and kingdoms, like the, the Roman Empire, the Han Dynasty, the, the British Empire, the Persian Empire, the Russian Empire, right? As they, as they, when, they, when they rose and then, they, then for a long period of time, the history um, you know, marked out their, their dominance, right? Military dominance, financial dominance, architectural dominance, right? Industrial dominance. We can see the same thing about the, the, when it comes to our country, right? The, the rise of our nation. In each case, there, was a, there would have been a beginning point, a time when, when that empire, that dynasty, that, that kingdom, that nation rose to prominence, now, usually history tells us it's in line with some kind of a strong leader, someone who through, the, 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 through you know, their will, their power, their skill, their, their eloquence, oftentimes, unfortunately, through their ruthlessness, right, would lead their nation to the top, right? As we start this new year, we're going to begin, we're going to begin at the beginning, that really begins without a beginning. It really starts without a start. In fact, when we open our Bibles, and if you want to do that, open to Genesis chapter 1. When we open the Bible and we start to read, we see that there's really no big opening credits, no curtain that opens. We simply read these words. In the beginning... God. And let me just stop right there. In the beginning, God. God already was whenever all that we know to be became a reality. So when we talk about beginnings, to start at creation really is to pull up a little bit short. Right? Creation. Genesis 1, though we see the beginning, in the beginning, God, that really wasn't the beginning because God existed before the beginning. This past fall, we talked a lot about the physical world and the spiritual world when we did our 40 days on the armor of God. And we hopefully are, un, we are comfortable with the, the language of saying that there is a physical reality that we all see and feel and live in, but there is also a spiritual world that we can't see. We, we can't necessarily uh, touch or taste or feel, but it still exists. I don't think we think enough about the spiritual world. But we do know this, 
that because before there was a physical world, before there was a physical reality, there was a God. There was a king before there was a kingdom. We can say it that way, right? There was a king before there was a kingdom. Write that down if you're taking notes. And here's the good news, that when it comes to God, he is sovereign over both realms. He is sovereign over the physical realm, and he is sovereign, or he's in complete control over the spiritual realm. But let's not forget about the fact that there was a king. In the beginning, God, he existed before he created which leads us to the next word, the next, the next word in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. Now this morning, there are differences of opinions uh, about how God created. Did he use six literal days or were those six days uh, more eight, about ages? Is the, is the earth 6,000 years old or is the, the earth 6 million years old or somewhere in between? And, and listen, what I've come to learn and what we're, we've come to land as a church family is those are great conversations. Those are great debates. And we all should wrestle with where we stand on the issue of, of, of beginnings, of how God created but it's not an issue that we would want to divide over. We simply say this, that Zion, as a church family, we believe that God created ex nihilo. And that's just a fancy way of saying that God created something from nothing. That God spoke everything that we see into existence out of nothing. And again, we can have convictions about how, did, how God did it, how much time it took for him to do it. But, but I'm not going to call you a, a heretic if you think differently than maybe I think or, or differently than what another brother or sister next to you thinks. That's where we land as a church. If we were to read through the next verses in Genesis chapter 1, what you'll see is a, is, a, is, a, is a retelling of the creation account, right? On the first day, God created. On the second day, God created. On the third day, God created. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because I want us to, to fast forward to verse 26. And I want us to spend the majority of our time this morning on verses 26 through 31. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it simply says this, Then God said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let me just pause, and we're going to unpack and walk through some of these things. God, then God said, that, that idea of God speaking is a pattern that we see throughout Genesis chapter one. It's simply God speaking order into creation. What did God say? He said, let us make man in our image, which is where we need to first stop, pause, and think about what is being said here. Who is God talking to? When he says, let us make man in our image, it seems odd. Who is he having a conversation with? Is he talking to angels? Uh, I don't think so. 
right? He, he, he is God. We believe that there is one God, but this is an introduction to the idea of a triune God, that we believe that God exists in a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So theologically, where we would say is, what we would say is this, is that when, when God says, let us make man in our image, he's having a conversation amongst the triunity of the Godhead. There's a conversation happening between Father, Son, and Spirit. All were present in creation. As a matter of fact, if you go back up to, to verse number two, it says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, there's the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. The book, book of Colossians, if you were uh, to study the book of Colossians, talks about Christ's role in creation. But he says, let us make man in our image. In our image. What, is, what does that mean? Well, we've taught this and we'll continue to teach this. This is where we get the, the doctrine called the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei, the image of God. And, and these are, this is a, let me just give you a little bit of peek behind the curtains. There's a reason why in 2023, we felt like teaching through the book of Genesis was very important for us as a church family. And it's connected with where we're living, culturally speaking. I, I think that it's important, even for those of us who've grown up in church, who have rock-solid convictions about begin beginnings and, and the Imago Dei and, and some of the other things that we'll talk about today and in the weeks to come, we are living in a culture where these truths, these concepts, these ideas are, are being pushed against harder than perhaps ever. And, and, and we, as followers of Christ, we need to revisit the beginnings. We need to go back and reread and rethink the book of Genesis. And, and, and it might help clarify, it might deepen, strengthen uh, our own conviction and our own resolve as we go about living as salt and light in a, in a world that's growing increasingly and increasingly darker and darker. But this idea of being made in the image of God, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, traditionally, it means several things. I'm going to put this up on the screen so you can write it down so that you can connect the dots here. But traditionally, to be made in the image of God has to do with five things. It has to do with rationality. The, the fact that we can think we are rational beings makes us Again, the imago Dei, the, 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 the image of God. It has to do with relationality. That, that we, just like the, the God exists in three and, and they're in perfect unity, they're in relationship with each other. Father to son, son to spirit, spirit to father. They interact with each other. God created us with relationality, the ability to relate. There's also the freedom of will. God has given to us the ability to choose we can choose right, we can choose wrong, we can go left, we can go right, we can do what we want to do, the freedom of will. Moral attributes and virtues, this is one of the things, this is one of many things that separates us from the animal kingdom, right? We, we, there's a morality that is inside of us. We, we have virtues, 
love and justice and joy, right? And then also language, the ability to speak, to articulate. Again, one of the things that sets us apart uh, from, from the animal world. All of those things are, are part of what makes us the imago Dei, made in the image of God. And so it's not, it's, it's, it's not incorrect that this is what makes us image bearers of God, but it's not complete. It's not complete. Well, why do I say that? Well, these things that are on the screen are limited in that they attempt to answer the question, in which parts of man can I see the image of God? In which parts of man? What, what parts of man can I see the image of God? The truth of the matter is, the Bible doesn't speak of certain parts of man that were created in the image of God, but rather that man, period, period, was created in the image of God. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If I were to hand you a picture of my dad, if I were to hand you a picture of my dad, you wouldn't ask, hey, Trent, what part of this picture of your dad is his image? That wouldn't make any sense. The picture itself is his image. In the same way, it would be, it would be inaccurate to ask what parts of man bear the image of God. What parts of man bear the image of God? A more correct way to say it is that all of humanity bears aspects of the image of God. And, and I say all that to say this and write this down. Because of that, our lives have dignity, value, and worth. Our lives have value, dignity, and worth. And it's important that we say that in 2023. Not because we're rich, not because we're smart, not because we're talented or anything else that the world tries to attach to an individual's value, worth, or dignity, but because we are his image bearers. Listen, every person that you made eye contact with this past week, every person that you will make eye contact with this week bears the image of their creator. And because of that, they should be treated with dignity, value, and worth. And that would include people who we like and who are like us and people who we don't like. And let's just be honest, we typically don't like people who aren't much like us. That's typically who we don't like. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't walk like us. They don't talk like us. They don't believe like us. And we'll take it a, a, a bit further. That would, in, that would include those who are socially different than us, economically different than us, racially different than us, politically different than us. It doesn't matter who they are. If you locked eyes with them this week, they're worthy of value, dignity, and worth. And, and, and let me just say this, and, and from a political standpoint, I, I, I want to make sure that I, I want to say this the right way. I thought about how to say this, and I'm not sure that I'm going to say it well. 
But as much as politics are a part of, of, of our nation, especially right now, just the, the heightened political whatever, the temperature of politics in our nation, um, as much as we can get frustrated and probably are frustrated, I wouldn't want to be a politician. I really wouldn't. I just, there's just no way. Local, state, national. Part of it is because of what I'm thinking about right now. When, when I think about the Imago Day, because whether someone is unborn or undocumented, both have value, dignity, and worth. And so for politicians to think that one group has value, dignity, and worth while the other doesn't, or, while the, or just the opposite, while another group thinks one, va- one group has value, dignity, and worth while the other doesn't, man, that's a, that's a tough place to live. And I wouldn't want to be postured politically to have to pick sides because all of life has value, dignity, and worth. The unborn and the undocumented and everyone in between, right? It's a tough, because politically, we're forcing sides. And, and, and how, you, how you hear me say that, um, please just be mindful that I'm trying to, again, have a, a biblical position, and I want to give you a, a biblical framework to think about that, because policies, politics and policies matter because people matter and all people matter, right? Everyone has value, dignity, and worth. Not just certain classes, not just certain races, not just certain stages of life, but all of life has value, dignity, and worth. Not because a law says it, Not because a culture deems it to be so, but because we as humanity are made in the image of God. Period. So, (laughs) be mindful of how you think about, how you treat, how you approach all of humanity because they matter to God. Make sense? Hope it does. Hope it doesn't come across as... Whatever, because that's not my heart. Y'all have been around me enough to know my heart when it comes to politics. I don't like it. I don't believe in politics. I am a political atheist. It's true. You ask me where I'm at politically, I'm a political atheist. I just don't believe in them. Um, Left, right, up, down, whatever. Anyway, so let's continue on. why, why did God make us image bearers? I guess that's a question, right? Why did God put a mark on us that we would, when he created humanity, that we would image him? Well, if we keep reading, I think we would find some answers. Look at verse 26, the second part of verse 26, when he says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. Simply put, what you're reading there in in verse 26b is part of humanity's job description. It is dominion. 
dominion over the earth. And some of you hear me say that and you're like, oh, here we go. We're going we're gonna to head to extremes because you hear dominion and you hear different things. <clears throat> some hear me say, if we're supposed to have dominion, that means that we can do whatever we want. It's our earth. It's our world. We're the boss of the world. We will take from this planet whatever we want. Right? That's how some of us read that. We have dominion. Others would take the complete opposite. Right? Because we have dominion, we shouldn't touch it. Leave everything alone. And you guys, again, I've been around you guys long enough. You know me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I do my best to avoid extremes. And so when it comes to verses like this and, and how we have tried to land as a church is, look, I think we need to avoid both extremes. The, the extreme of radical environmentalism that doesn't want to utilize what God has given to us to use Right? We, we need to avoid that extreme, but we also should avoid the other extreme that is like no problem with just destroying the world that we live in. We're called to rule, so therefore, doesn't it make sense that we should rule well? Well, how do we do that? Let me just, again, these are some foundational thoughts. These are some beginnings, some things that we need to remind ourselves of. How do we rule well? Let me give you, and we did a series on this several years ago uh, called Green, our only series I think we've ever done specifically on, on how we should treat the planet. I'd have to go back into my, my archives if you're interested in that, and I could let you hear that. But, but here's how we said we want to do this, how we would do this. Number one, we should see God's creation as a gift. Anybody have a problem with that? Anybody have a problem with seeing God's creation as a gift to us? I hope not, because that's what it is. It, it, it's a gift. And this idea of, of dominion, of ruling, we said this, that we should, because it is a gift to us, we should seek to harness all of creation for maximum fruitfulness and potential, to utilize this planet to its, to its um, again, not radical, but, but commonsensical, fruitful, and, 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 and so that it can reach its potential. And then here was the last thing that we said years ago, for the good of all. For the good of all. For the good of humanity. And that then gets into this idea of like, okay, so now we're talking about using creation for purposes that only benefits a few as opposed to trying to harness creation for the good of all right and those are those are big questions and big themes and big ideas that we're not going to solve in in a, in, a, in a Sunday morning message but when i think about this purpose of having dominion of ruling over the planet those are all the things i think we should wrestle with and think about is do we see the planet as a gift? Some of us, again, we should see it as a gift. We shouldn't feel, um, we shouldn't feel that we are at the earth's beck and call. It is a gift to us, but that doesn't give us excuse to be uh, wasteful with what God has gifted to us. We should always look at what is what is good for all human flourishing when it comes to how to utilize 
this planet. Anyway, let's continue reading. After God says this, listen, listen to verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This should affirm the worth of every human being, male and female. And I say that because there are still cultures that exist in our planet where females are treated as property, where females are viewed as lesser than males. And if we go back to the beginning, that was never God's design. That was never God's plan. He created both male and female in his image. And because of that, both male and female are valued. They have dignity. They have worth. And so where you see a culture, where you see a nation, where you see a family, where you see a church that treats females as less than males, you see a church that doesn't understand how God, how God created things. Now, I need to say this. God created male and female different. Right? Different, not better than. We are different than each other, not better than each other. That's just, again, that's a simple you know, life observation. Men and women are different. And, and again, I don't want to go too far into this because I love you and, and, and I want you to love me. <laughs> but, but I've been around and I've seen things and you've seen things. And I know I'm speaking a little bit in generalities, but if you'll just give me a little bit of, a little bit of, a little bit of leeway here, I'd appreciate it. Generally speaking, men and women are different, right? Generally speaking, women shave their legs and men don't. Now there are some that it's the opposite, but I'm just, I'm just asking for a little bit of grace and leeway, right? Anybody want to argue that generally speaking, that, that men and women are just different that way? It doesn't make one better than the other. It just means that they're different. Generally speaking, men are taller than women. That doesn't mean that there aren't short men and there aren't tall women. But generally speaking, when you just kind of look at averages and heights and all that, men are generally taller than females. That's just a general, we're just different, Generally speaking, men are stronger than women. Not always. There are some women who are strong, and there are some men who aren't. I'm just talking a little bit in generalities. That I, don't think, I don't think it's a stretch to simply say God made men and women different. And that's a good thing. We're, we're glad for that. We, we shouldn't be afraid to, to state that. To, to celebrate that, to be glad for that. Men and women are different. Keep reading, verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. Let me just stop right there. There's over 80 times in the book of Genesis that you read that phrase, and God blessed them. Let's think about that this week. Man, life is hard. Imagine how difficult life would be if God didn't bless. If his hand just didn't open up and just pour out blessings on our lives. 
I mean, again, we, we all have hardships. We all have difficulties. But if we'll take the time to slow down, I think we would all find that time and time again, God has blessed us. God has blessed me. God has blessed my family. Let's keep reading verse 28. Listen to some of the marching orders, what God says to do. It says, and God blessed them, and, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Did you see what our marching orders were in Genesis 1? I saw three things. Number one, God told man to be fruitful and multiply. You know what that means? It means make babies. Have kids. Be fruitful and multiply. That was God's design. God wants humanity to multiply. But then he also says to fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. And we're going to talk about this in a few weeks when we get to the Tower of Babel. But, but humanity wasn't listening to God. They weren't filling the earth. They were all staying in one general location. So God had to do some things to get them to spread out. But one of the things that God told humanity was to fill the earth, to go and explore all of creation. And then he says to rule over it, to carry out your job description. How do we think about those three things? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, rule over all creation. Biblically, there's a term for this. It's called the, the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. That God is, in essence, telling humanity to go out and to create culture. Make babies, spread through the earth, explore new horizons, rule creation. And, and he says, look, I want you to do it as image bearers of me. As you image me, I want you to go out and create cultures. We can say it this way if you're taking notes. We are to be image bearers, and we are to be culture creators. We're to create cultures. That was his design. That was his delight. That was his intention from the beginning, to fill the world with his representatives, image bearers, of himself filling the world with his glory as we reflect his image to one another. God's desire was to have people who would love like he loved, live as he would live, rule over creation as he would rule. This is the why we were made in his image so that we could represent him in all that he's created. It's like a father giving an inheritance or a, or a business over to his son, right? The, the father finds joy in saying, son, all of this I've made, I'm now giving it to you. 
It's yours. I did this to hand to you. That's what God was doing in creation. He said, look, this is mine, but I'm giving it to you. And we can say it this way, I think it'll be up on the screen, that God delights in his creation and wants to produce himself in us and in those to come. Now, this helps us understand why God created in the first place, right? It was out of delight and it was his design, but and this is where we need to, to pull up and remind ourselves We're not there today, but we'll get there next week that something happened to this design, right? The fall. Genesis 3 happened. What we've talked about up to now, this was the way God intended for it all to play out. But the fall, now listen to the word I'm going to use. It distorted the design of the creator. It did not destroy it. It just distorted it. It just distorted it. The the effects of sin distorted our ability to to be a reflection of God. It's kind of like, it's similar to, to that picture of my dad that I showed you. Over time, that picture right, would would warp and would fade and and you wouldn't be able to see the image of my dad as clearly as when the the photograph was first taken. Still his image, it's just a little fuzzy. It's not as clear. It's, It's distorted over time. Now imagine after the fall, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of sin and rebellion, Disease that has entered our planet. Death. How distorted it is today. And that's why, again, when we think about the image of God, it can be tough because, (laughs) I love you, Mike, but I know you. You're a sinful man. And I know you bear the image of God but I've seen some things. <laughs> always looking, man. I'm always looking. Right? And, and so, so when we think about, when we think about, like the, the, about looking to one another to see a reflection of who God is, man, it's distorted at best. Right? Like we, we can see the image of God in one another, but man, it's distorted because of sin because of our own weaknesses. We see so much of one another that doesn't look like God, that doesn't act like God, that that doesn't treat me the way God would treat me. And we conclude, you know what? They're less than. They're not worthy of my respect. They're not worthy of value. They're not worthy of dignity because I see how they act. I see how they conduct themselves. And they're they're not worthy I get that. I understand. I understand how we can get there. We've got to push through and understand that because of the fall, none of us will reflect perfectly the image of our creator to one another, with one another, as we're around one another. But the good news is this, and we're winding it down. 
there is one that we can look at. The one who is the precise image of God. As a matter of fact, Paul called him the, vis- the, the express image of the invisible God. And his name is Jesus. And, and when we look at Jesus, when we see his life, when we study his life in the Gospels, we see God. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God is like, don't look to me and don't look to your neighbor because we will always fail you. But we can always look at Jesus. He is the one that we should always look at because in him, what has been distorted can be restored. In him, in him alone, we can become more and more of a better reflection of who God created us to be. We were created as image bearers to create cultures, to bring glory to God, but we can't do it apart from Jesus Christ because he's the one who's able to come and to forgive us. He's the one who sends his spirit to live inside of us, to transform us, to renew us, to change us so that then and only then are we positioned to be able to better reflect the original intent of our creator back in Genesis 1. How does that play out in our world? Well, again, go back to the beginning. Remember, we bear his image. Then we're supposed to seek to create a culture that is actually counter to the culture. And here's where I want, here's the, here's the practical piece I want us to put in play. If we are going to bear God's image and bring him glory, we have to live counter to the culture because the culture right now doesn't look anything like God. So many in our culture aren't interested in living out the Imago Dei that they have. They've been made in the image of God. They're just not living it out. That doesn't mean we don't treat them with value, worth, and dignity. It just means that we need to be a people who consciously, intentionally, and under the the power of God's spirit, we begin to say, okay, how do I begin to better image God in my world? Starting in my own home, take it to work, take it into my community, apply it to how I do how I do my politics, uh, apply it to, to, to my education, uh, apply it to every sphere that I find myself in. Okay, God has placed me here to reflect him to a culture that doesn't look like him. But I have something that the culture doesn't have. I have the spirit of God living inside of me because of what Jesus did for me. So now I can begin to live differently creating a a counter to what the cultural pull is drawing us to. See, that that vision of of God from Genesis 1 will not be completely realized again until the new heaven and new earth, but until then, his people, you and I, are called to live counter to the culture. We've got to recognize that. So two questions that I want to ask today as we begin this series, begin really a new year, is this. How well do I image him? 
How well do I image him? Tease that out a little bit further. Do my, do my words reflect his grace? Do, do my actions demonstrate who he is? Do my attitudes show others a glimpse of Christ? Do, do people see Jesus in me? How well do I image him? That's one big question. And then, how am I fulfilling this cultural mandate? Do I think about the idea of going and multiplying and spreading and exploring? What, what area of culture do I need to plant myself in? Go and help create within that, that, that sphere a culture that is counter to the world. And again, I think a great place to start is your workplace. Do we live counterculturally in our workplace? Do we show our coworkers something different as we go about our work day to day? It's a great place to start. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. <clears throat> and I want us to hear, hear God's spirit speaking to us. And I don't know what he has said to you. But for me, I know that there are still so, there's still so much of me that doesn't look like Jesus. That yes, I have inside of me, I bear the Imago day, but practically as I live it out day by day, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of imaging Christ that he needs to keep working on. And I want him to do that in 2023. And as I go about my daily rhythms of life, when I go into this community, I, I want to live counterculturally. I want to paint a better picture of, of what, what God intends for life to look like by God's grace. Let me pray, and then, um, then you respond however God's leading you. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for changing us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to respond to whatever it is that you've taught us. And uh, pray that we would do that. We love you. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And if I can pray for you about anything, I'm going to be down front. <clears throat>